You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Hey, by, by show of like a morning moan and maybe even a hand raise, would you tell me if you are a forgetful person? Anyone forgetful here this morning? Wow, a lot of people. Okay, starting off strong. I forget a lot, but one thing I remember from a long time ago was a moment where I was on a cliff. And when I was on this cliff, everyone had, had, we were going cliff jumping and everyone had already jumped into the water before me. And my friends were all already at the bottom and their parents were also already at the bottom. And I was the last one on the edge of the cliff, which brought a lot of anxiety and uh, tension because I was scared to jump. And uh, it took me a while before I actually did jump. And in fact, it was one of those moments where people start to incorrectly quote scripture at you. You know, they give you the, you can do all things and you can jump off all cliffs through Christ who gives you strength. And I'm like, that's not what it says, but that's not helping either. And I'm, I need to be down there. But eventually I went ahead and jumped. And as I jumped, I really regretted it. And it wasn't the jump itself that I regretted, but rather the four letter word that I said all the way down into the water. And as I came up, I could feel this pit in my stomach. And I looked around and everyone just kind of pretended like it didn't happen. Parents didn't say anything. Nobody said anything. We went on to dinner later that night. Still, nobody had said anything about what I had done as I jumped off the cliff. And as I said earlier, I have a terrible memory. And in fact, this might be disheartening to teachers, but I can't remember my sixth grade teacher's name. But that was in sixth grade, and I remember that story. I remember that story that day. And the reason why I remember that story from that day is because of the guilt. There's this pit in my stomach. Uh, I would call it now a cringe. Even as I think about it right now, I'm like, this is cringy. That four letter word. But I can't even tell you what it rhymes with. Okay. Like it's just, it was awful. And even as I think about it, it, it just is this awful thing that I, it's just silly. It was dumb. I, if I could have those words back, I would have that word back. Right. We have these moments in our lives where we do different things that are silly, dumb, they're sin. They're all these different ways that we can have this feeling of guilt. And let's just be honest, at some point in life, we're going to deal with guilt. And so we have to understand how to respond to guilt. And so as we finish up our series of breaking every chain, we're going to look at how to break the chain of guilt. What do we do to respond in those moments and those times where you have that little bitty cringe in your stomach? What do you do with that? Big or small, we're going to look at how to, how to handle that, how to respond, how to process. Because a lot of times in life, we tend to isolate when that happens, just like everyone around me when I jumped off the cliff and said the bad word. We just pretend like it doesn't happen, sweep it under the rug. And I want to warn you of something, even before we get to the scripture tonight, uh, of something in culture that I think we need to be careful not to allow within the church. And I'm not, this isn't us against them, secular, spiritual. I'm not against culture. I think it's an incredible thing, but I want us to be careful here. And this is what I want to warn us of. 
And the reason why I think this passage is so important is because we have an image-based culture. Everything is about looking good. You dress up for church. I do too. I don't know where that came from, right? Yeah, I know. So whatever. You're laughing at my shirt. I didn't expect that to be a joke, but I'll take it. Anyways, we have an image-based culture. It's all about looking good and telling people you're good and talking about how awesome life is, even if life isn't awesome. And in fact, I think that's come into Christianity and it's become this thing where it's like, if you're a Christian, you're good. It's like, I don't know at what point in life it became Christianity was being good. I, if I'm not mistaken, like the only requirement to get in is sin. Like that's the only thing we bring to the table. And so Christianity went from, or is in some ways like, oh, just look good on the outside. When in reality, all Christianity is, is we're all sinners in need of a savior. And so this big or small guilt and shame and sin stuff that culture is telling us, like, just have a positive attitude and brush it to the side. Pretend like that never happened to you. Suppress, suppress, suppress. We're going to see an alternative to that, which is confess. And that's just the beginning. There's so much more. And so I, I want us to understand why this has happened, why we have guilt and shame and things from the past that we have simply suppressed. And so that's why we need to turn to scripture. We need to learn from scripture and see how we're meant to process and respond to guilt. So if you will open in your Bibles with me to Psalm 51. And as you're turning there, I want you to think before you even get started this morning, maybe even write it down on your notes. What are the things in my life that come to mind the quickest that bring guilt? Could be something from far, far away. Something from when you were young. It could even be something silly you said this week. Something you did this week, whatever. I want you to think of those things. This morning, we're gonna see that to break the chain of guilt, we must confess, purify, and restore. That's where we're going. Psalm 51 is a psalm that's changed my life. It's probably the place in scripture I have turned to the most. And so my prayer for this morning has been simply that this psalm would heal you as much as it's healed me through the power of God and through the power of his word. And so what you need need to know about Psalm 51, the context is that David, this hero of the faith, the same man that defeated Goliath, a man after God's own heart, he's the one that has written this. It's this Psalm in Psalm 51, but you need to know within the context of David's life, what has just happened was David has sinned. He saw Bathsheba from his porch. He sent for her. He slept with her. And then in order to cover it all up, he killed her husband. That's the story of David. That's where we find ourselves. And in fact, uh, just before this, David has been uh, like called out, so to speak, by Nathan, the prophet. And so that's where we find ourselves as we're looking at Psalm 51. You can imagine the guilt that maybe David had been feeling. He had manipulated and used his power and position for sexual gain. And then he went ahead and covered it up with murder. You can imagine what that might've felt like. And so we find ourselves, Psalm 51, starting in verse one. 
This is what he says. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Transgressions are like rebellion. Against you, you only have I sinned. This is amazing. He's saying against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Let's stop right there. Let's focus first on verse four. There's so much good here. But I want you to see in verse four, David is saying against you, you only have I sinned. He's saying, he's acknowledging that he has sinned against God. Let's admit he murdered somebody. So obviously his sin affected other people. But the biggest issue that David is, is showing us is that he has fallen short of the glory of God. And he's saying against you only have I sinned God. It's a confession. It's admitting. And so the first step in breaking the chain of guilt is confession, is confess. We admit it. We own it. We bring things to the light, big or small. We ask for forgiveness because we know 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we can bring things to the light because he is light. And he can handle our darkness. The reality is he created the universe. Therefore, he can take out your trash. But so often we're like, no, 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 let's keep it over here. Let's keep it to the side. In confession, specifically this morning, I want to, I I just want to clarify. It means to confess to God, which is to ask for forgiveness. But there's also a form of confession to man and to one another. And so confession to God is to ask for forgiveness. Confession to man is to ask for accountability. It's to bring it to people that you're in community with, people that you meet with regularly, people that you respect enough where they can call you on things. And honestly, this is just a side note. Like this means we're not just meant to come to church on Sundays. We're meant to be rightly connected, a part of the body of Christ membership, belonging. So we can have a place to go to with this kind of stuff. Confession. In fact, Alcoholics Anonymous AA, the first step in AA is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. It's an admission. It's confession. It's saying out loud, this is what I've done. But I've had a student tell me before that they haven't confessed anything to anyone ever. Which presents itself as a problem. Because this person didn't realize, I don't think, that confession is a key to Christianity. Confession is key to Christianity. And confession isn't just for addicts, it's for Christians. And it's not just once for salvation. It's continually for growth and sanctification, which is a big word for growth that smarter people use. 
That's what confession is. And I love David's example of confession here specifically. He doesn't make excuses. If there were ever a man that could have made an excuse, this guy could have possibly. Think about it. He was on his back porch and God put a beautiful naked lady below him. He could have been like, Lord, forgive me for something that you did. You put her in front of my eyes. No, he didn't say that. He says, against you, you only have I sinned. Full ownership, full confession. He owns his failure. We tend to just pretend like it never happened. Suppress instead of confess. And I'll illustrate it this way. I don't know if any of you are uh, Baylor football fans, but uh, I, I am one. And so who knows who Seth Russell is? Anybody? Okay, only true Baylor fans. That's good. Uh, just, we're just filtering the flock here this morning. Uh, so my true Baylor fans, you know what happened to Seth Russell uh, back in the day when we were playing OU and he broke his ankle slash leg-ish thing. And it was one of those things on TV that, you know, he picks up his leg and it's dangling and you're like, nobody should see that. Like that is so inappropriate and cringy and sickening. I can't believe they would show that replay over and over and over again. We saw it break all six times. Okay. ESPN, thank you for that. And so Seth Russell had this thing happen where he got severely hurt in the middle of a game. And what I can imagine he did was he went to the doctor and he went to the doctor and I'm sure the doctor saw the video. So he's like, I got a pretty good understanding of what's going on here. Right. And so Seth is like, here's my broken ankle. It's broken right there, obviously. Here's where I feel pain. Here's what I heard. Here's where I got hit. Here's the angle I hit. Here's, here's the way it has changed the way I walk, even on the other side. Like, like Seth would tell him everything that has to do with that, right? Why? Because the homie wants to be restored, right? He wants to be healed. He's about to have surgery. He wants to get back on the field so he can lead our Baylor Bears to the future, right? Like this is it. That's what Seth Russell would have done. Taking the symptoms, taking them to the doctor, to the healer. And I honestly think we can learn from the way that we go to the doctor, for physical needs, we go to the doctor and we tell them everything. The same should be said of that which is spiritually sickening within our lives. The things that cause us guilt, confess them in full. Tell, tell the Lord and, and even man or woman or the people you're in communion with, tell everything. Don't hold back anything. If you want to be fully healed, fully confess, right? But so often it's image, sweep, suppress. We're meant to confess. The first step in breaking the chain of guilt is to confess. Psalm 51 verse seven is where we'll pick up and we'll, as we continue through this process and learning the steps to breaking the chain of guilt. Again, verse seven, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Hyssop is a branch. It's like a tree. <laughs> purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter then snow. Amen. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let these bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Let's stop right there. The second step in breaking the chain of guilt is to purify. To purify means to remove contaminants. It's like the original Taylor Swift, like shaking it off. You know what I mean? Like we're getting rid of that stuff. 
Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. That's how we're purified. That's how we're clean by some branch that we have no idea what that is. Hyssop. Let's run with this for a second. Hyssop is a branch that was used in the Old Testament for religious ceremonies to sprinkle the sacrificial blood on an altar so that those that were unclean could then be rightfully returned to the tent. It's, it's the very branch that was used in order to, to cleanse and purify. So this is beautiful. At, at this time, like they would have been very, very uh, aware of what was going on. Like They know what a hyssop is. We don't really. We just know what pollen is right now. Am I right? It's like just everywhere. It's pollen. Okay, anyways. So they, the, the people back then would have known what hyssop was about. It was, it was a ceremonial cleansing. And the next time that we see hyssop, Jesus is on the cross. We find ourselves in John 19, verse 29 through 30. I want to read this to you. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch. The same thing that was used for ceremonial cleansing in the Old Testament is the very thing that they hold up to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. That is where purifying comes from. Jesus bought our forgiveness with his sacrifice. Just as in the Old Testament, the blood and hyssop was purified, is what purified a defiled person. So also is what Jesus' shed blood purifies for us and our sin. And I want you to notice something real quick. You can't wash yourself. Like if I was like, all right, everyone, just go ahead and purify right now. Get after it. What would you do? You'd be like, I guess I got a shower? I don't know, like, right? But when it comes to this, being clean, being whiter than snow, we need the work of another. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus so that no matter our failure, Christ's blood can make us white as snow. That is the good news that we come to celebrate week in, and week out, each and every day, this is the good news we have to remind ourselves of. That because of what he has done, we are white as snow. And I love how the, how the passage progresses in verse eight. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let these bones that you have broken rejoice. Because whenever we experience guilt and shame and embarrassment, it, this is beautiful because guilt puts us in a funk. Kind of feels like things are off. Like maybe even you feel broken, you're, you're not able to function as well as you, you could. It creates even confusion. You can't even fake joy when you're experiencing crazy guilt. Like you can't pretend it. They say, let me hear joy and gladness. Like, let me hear it again. Let these bones that you have broken rejoice. It's a beautiful picture. And it goes on to say in verse nine, and blot out all my iniquities. Iniquities is like a judicial term for a, a, a record, like a driving record. Huh? Anybody have a driving record here this morning? Let's talk about that, all right? I'll go ahead and confess since we're talking about it today. My first ticket 
I was going way too fast in a 65, all right? It's on my driver's record, 112 and a 65. It's not a joke. And by God's grace, it's off my record. I'm not kidding. Went to court, judge, wiped it clean. When I came back to Waco, it wasn't in Waco. Of course it wouldn't be in Waco, Houston. It was in Houston. When I came back from Houston, I found a wad of cash paying for it. Everything had been paid for, record, clean. It happened when I was a freshman in college. Friends took care of it. It was provided for. The record was wiped clean. And that's what he's saying. That's what David is saying. Blot out all my iniquities. Take everything that's on my record of sin and just remove it. That's what God does. And I'm not just making up this illustration. Colossians 2.14 backs me up. It's talking about Jesus canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He took your record and he nailed it to the cross. He took your record of sin and my record of sin and he nailed it to the cross. I didn't just make this image up. This is what the Bible says. This is amazing. This is the good news of what purify, purification is so that we can be white as snow. So the first step is confess. The second step is purify. Verse 10 is where we find ourselves as we go to the third step because we're good Baptists. There's only three steps, three points. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let's stop there. There is a restoration here and it's coming in all sorts of forms in these verses. He's saying, create a clean heart, renew a right spirit, restore joy, uphold a willing spirit. Don't remove the Holy Spirit. I can't lose salvation. Restore me to the joy of my salvation. I can lose my joy, but I can't lose my salvation. These are good things for us to realize as we experience guilt and sin and shame. We can be restored. What a gift. What a gift. Restoration. Verse 13. It's not going to be on the screen behind me, but after we're restored, David says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. So you can be restored after failure. You can be restored after sin and shame. This is counter to the way we think. We think failure disqualifies you, but God can use you even if you fail. This is good news. Just think for a second about Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus still restored him. And then he went on to build the church on his back. And it says in scripture that the gates of hell won't prevail against it, it being the body of Christ that he built on the person who needed to be restored back. Peter, yes, there are consequences to sin, but God can restore anyone. Verse 14, or excuse me, verse 16 says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. What this means is that when we sin, we have a tendency to want to create this transaction with God where we're like, I'll do good so I can return to the favor of the Lord. I can do good to get good. And what this passage is saying, what David is saying is, 
you would not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. It goes on to say in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. So after sin and failure, God doesn't want your work so you can earn back his love. God wants your heart. God doesn't want your work. He wants your heart. You can't work your way back to his love. That's not the way it works. He loved you before you sinned, after you sinned, and even during your sin. And David is giving us this example of what restoration looks like. So beautiful. In the end, these three things, confess, purify, and restore, remind me of my least favorite thing in life. My least favorite thing in life is laundry. And can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. The 840 likes laundry, I think. And so uh, I remember in college, I used to say to people, life seems totally manageable until I remember that I have laundry to do. And then it seems totally unmanageable. And laundry is this weird thing where you take dirty clothes, you put it in the wash, dryer too, and then you can wear them again once they're clean. It's this process, dirty, clean, purify, and then restored. You can put your clothes back on. It's this constant process where we're constantly doing this. We're constantly living with laundry to do. Confess, purify, restore. Confession is I'm dirty. Purify is you put your clothes in the laundry. Restore is you get to put your clothes back on. You get to be clean. You get to walk in that freedom. You get to walk in the victory that you and I were meant to walk in. It's just laundry each and every day of the week. But what's crazy about this laundry and this illustration that some people hate, but I love, even though it's so simple and silly, the reason why I love it is because I actually think this is the Christian life. This is the way we were meant to live. But we don't realize it. We just suppress. Try to put up this image instead. So as we respond to confess, purify, and restore, I want you to know the implications are big. Confess, purify, and restore. Because I actually believe that CPR is what we need. And I don't say that, you know, cheesy Baptist, three points. Okay. CPR is this thing that we do in emergency situations in order to revive a person, in order to restore a person. That is what we do. Tilt their head back, compressions, create breathing. It's this thing that many of us know that brings restoration to people. And I think this for us, CPR, confess, purify, restore is the exact thing that some of us need. Like David is a man after God's own heart and he still needs to be restored. So if you think this morning, like, no, I'm good. I don't need to be restored. Like what? This is exactly what we need. But so many of us, myself included, we're walking dead because of the guilt and the shame and the sin. And we can't be revived if we don't have the humility to admit that we're dead. And so this morning, I want you to know that I believe guilt and sin, it takes away life and we need to be revived and restored because of it. 
And in fact, we're praying for this sort of revival on Baylor's campus for our city and for the nations. That's why I'm wearing this FM 72 shirt. It stands for Fountain Mall, 72 hours of prayer. That's the center of Baylor University. Starting at 8 p.m. tonight, we're gonna be praying for 72 hours straight. Every night at 8 p.m., there's gonna be worship gatherings that you can come and join us with. That's what we're praying for. Not just for Baylor. We're going to pray for MCC and TSCC. Not just for Baylor, MCC, TSCC. We're going to pray for the city. And then we're going to pray that it would reach the nations. Because we believe God can do that. He's not a one-off God. He's at work now. But speaking of that, what's crazy is I think this entire series, Breaking Every Chain, is amazing. But we're coming and we're learning about things that I think we already know. I want to close with this. Like I can tell you there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise God. But what's crazy is we know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The problem is you and I don't believe it. And so, yes, we need to confess the sin that's caused guilt and shame. And we need to ask for purification and restoration from the Lord. But maybe the first thing we need to confess this morning before we get to the sin is the sin of unbelief that some of us have, myself included. Because so many of us, we, we don't realize that with the process, CPR is a process. Confess, purify, restore is a process, but it's meant to be done within the context of a relationship with Jesus. And a relationship with Jesus comes with power. It comes with the power of the resurrection that's meant to be within us so that we can be restored and we can live the fullness of life that we were meant to live with Christ. And I think what's holding us back is a form of unbelief. And I'm not talking about salvation or anything like that. I'm saying like, you may have a relationship with Jesus. You just don't think he has any power. It's not just God's in a box. It's like way, way worse than that for you and I. And honestly, I can tell you that because it's the way I've lived for so much of my life. So maybe the first thing as we finish a series on breaking every chain, is like, Lord, we know that there's no condemnation. Help me to believe it. Help me to believe it. Because at the end of the day, we need him. I'll close with this, I promise. Said every pastor ever five times at the end of a sermon. We need his power because confession might be on you, but purification and restoration, you can't do for yourself. It has to come from another. And so we need him. We can't do it apart from a relationship with him. We can't do it apart from his power. Only he can do those things. That's the great thing about this story of David is that God is the one who washes him white as snow. God is the one who restores him to God's salvation. It says your salvation. It doesn't say David's salvation. It says the salvation that's from the Lord. So we need him and we need him to do it. And we can't force it. You can't force revival. You can't force restoration. You can't even fake it. But we can confess that we don't believe in it sometimes. And we can ask that the Lord would do it within us. And he would do it with a mighty power. Let's pray that he would. Father, we confess, yes, sin. And we don't diminish sin. We don't want to pretend like it's not there. But Lord, we... we first confess, Lord, our unbelief. 
and the truth that you've declared about us, we just too often read it and don't believe it. Help our unbelief. Would you help us to confess, purify, and be restored to the joy of your salvation so that we could be the salt and light that you've made us to be, Lord. I pray that you would break the chain of guilt in this room. Like in Acts 12, you broke the Peter's chains. He was asleep. He wasn't even praying, asking to be set free. He was asleep and an angel came in and the chains were set free simply by your power and by your grace. We ask for that to happen right now. Would that happen today? Would that happen in our city? Would that happen in our schools? Would that happen in our universities, our community colleges? Would that reach the city? Would that reach the nations? Or would you do that? And would you start in our own lives? Give us humility and willingness to let you revive us. We love you and thank you for the hope that you've given us and the love you've shown us through your son, Jesus, in who 